Hello and welcome to this 18th Roundtable Discussion produced by Transparent Media Truth. This episode was recorded on September 22nd, 2020. In this installment of the Roundtable, I am joined by Dr. Stephanie Seneff, Dr. Robert Young, and Dr. Judy Mikovits to take a deep dive into the idea of terrain theory and have a discussion about the underlying cause of disease. Perhaps one positive aspect of the coronavirus pandemic has been a revisiting of the fundamental theories underlying the reasons why people get sick. Are we attacked by an invading virus, as germ theory would have us believe, or is it the environment that causes disease as our body tries to eliminate unwanted toxins? Stay tuned for a fascinating conversation as these experts explore alternative theories to commonly held notions about the cause and transmission of disease. Dr. Seneff has a PhD in electrical engineering from MIT, where she spent a career initially working on voice-activated artificial intelligence interfaces, which eventually became what we know now as Siri and Alexa. For the last 12 years, the focus of her research switched to biochemistry as she sought to discover the root cause of the autism epidemic in the United States and across the world. Eventually, her quest led her to an understanding that the ubiquitous environmental toxin glyphosate found in the common weed killer Roundup, may be the primary driver of the condition. Discover more at stephaniesaneff.com. Dr. Judy Mikovits has PhDs in chemistry and molecular biology and spent 35 years working in the field of immunology, natural products chemistry, epigenetics, and HIV-AIDS drug development. She has over 50 peer-reviewed papers to her name and is the co-author of two books, Plague and the Sequel, Plague of Corruption. Her journey led her to discover a relationship between vaccine manufacture and the release of the harmful XMRV virus, which has been linked to cancer, chronic fatigue syndrome, and other maladies. In an attempt to educate the public about her findings, she ran afoul of the corporate government establishment and continues to spread the word despite legal challenges and corporate media mudslinging. Find out more about her work at PlagueTheBook.com. Our third guest this week is Dr. Robert O. Young, a naturopathic doctor and author of The PH Miracle. Dr. Young is an expert in dark field microscopy, which allows the user to view very small living particles at very high resolution. Using this technique, he has observed the phenomenon of pleomorphism, which posits that red blood cells can transform into bacteria when needed to detox the body. His theory presents the possibility that germs come from within. His research into the importance of the pH of the interstitial fluid, or fluid surrounding the cells, forms the basis of his theory that disease presents as a result of acidic pH, rather than through invading bacteria or viruses. Discover more at www.robertyoung.com. This conversation promises to include ideas from the cutting edge of science and theories alternative to the mainstream that may resonate with many who seek a holistic approach to disease management within the context of the Western scientific modality. I will be your host. My name is Doug McKenty. You can check out my weekly long-form interview podcast, The Shift with Doug McKenty, on YouTube and Facebook, at McKenty on Twitter, or on the web at www.theshiftnow.com. As always, I'd like to thank producer Rob Rubin for putting this all together. You can contact him at TransparentMED1 on Twitter and check out all the roundtable discussions at Transparent Media Truth on YouTube or www.transparentmediatruth on the web. 
If you like what you are hearing, please consider becoming a patron at www.patreon.com backslash transparentmediatruth. Enjoy this roundtable discussion between myself, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, Dr. Judy Mikovits, and Dr. Robert Young. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this 18th roundtable discussion. I'm joined today by uh, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, Dr. Robert Young, and Dr. Judy Mikovits. We're going to have a roundtable about virus theory, and we're going to kind of go deep into it. I think one of the positives, if you can say it's a positive, uh, about COVID-19 is that we've kind of opened up a, a community-wide or nationwide or worldwide discussion here about germ theory in general. And so uh, a lot of different ideas are bubbling up to the top, exactly how does disease spread, uh, exactly what has science proven, and we have three different points of view here today uh, that we can go through and have a, a good discussion with a, a real solid back and forth so everybody can understand the different perspectives and um, where these professionals sit in terms of this conversation, and uh, then you can start to make decisions for yourself as you're listening to this information about what you believe. So uh, let's just kick it in and get a little bit of background. Probably our biggest uh, proponent for the viral theory today is Dr. Mikovits. She's <laughs> as a virologist for many years and, and has uh, at least claimed to have isolated many viruses herself. So there's skepticism out there about this, Judy. Uh -huh. So maybe you can talk about, uh, just talk about your personal experiences then and, and uh, your overall belief system in terms of how diseases spread through viral transmission. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm actually not a proponent of germ theory mm -hmm. um, since uh, my PhD thesis and my work back in the 80s and 90s with HIV, I'm, I'm a proponent of the terrain theory. Not really? that I haven't isolated these viruses and associated with the disease. We always associate them with the disease in people with susceptibilities to infection or inability um, of certain parts of the uh, innate immune response to function, uh, genetic, uh, for instance, in the XMRV work, um, the people that express the virus um, and express the infectious transmissible strains of viruses that were arguably, um, you know, and, and shown to be recombinants of other things. Um, Though um, the people, if they didn't have the inflammatory disease signature, you could not isolate infectious virus. So this um, and and show it to be infectious and transmissible. Yes, we did that with HIV or or actually with LAV lymphadenopathy virus, was which was what um, Luc Montagnier isolated from people with. Um, AIDS, acquired immune deficiency syndrome, um, and and the opportunistic cancers. But again, you isolate a lot of infectious transmissible viruses when the immune system is compromised and you can't degrade them. So Bob Silverman, an immunologist whose expertise is the interferon pathway, um, had published on the um, presence of sequences, bits, and only 10% or less of, of uh a family of mouse-related retroviruses that were integrated into the genomes of men with aggressive prostate cancer and were actually expressed um, and contributing to the disease. But as and um, we had been working on prostate cancer drug development that at that time, lots of infections associated with prostate cancer, um, and. Uh, 
and uh, and and saw a disease signature in patient in some patients with um, crippling um, myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome. That's inflammation of the brain and spinal cord. Um, so when those people were so sick, they weren't functioning. Just as we did with the AIDS patients from Luc Montagnier, you could easily isolate virus, isolate particles, um, run. Uh, uh, gamma, I mean, run um, electron micrographs by a world's expert, Kuno Nagashima, who was on our original science paper, and, and show them to be secondarily infectious and transmissible to other cells throughout the families. And this is the work we did. But most of the families exposed to these viruses never got any kind of disease because their RNA cell, which is a Pac-Man kind of part um, that degrades um, RNA viruses and RNA DNA hybrids, was intact, unlike what, unlike the men who um, Silverman first identified. Those men, and it's 13% of, of America, actually, um, particularly in blacks and, and Mexicans, um, aren't able to degrade viruses as, as quickly because they have a single nucleotide polymorphism known as R462Q. Um, so you place the arginine with a glutamic acid, I think, and that, that takes the binding pocket of the enzyme and makes it not as efficient at fitting. So the Pac-Man can't really degrade as quickly. Mm-hmm. So in other people in the family who did not have that mutation, um, and we see familial prostate cancer um, and, and those exact genetic um, um, mutations were seen, um, and we see similar mutations in people with MECFS, particularly the men. The men will have prostatitis and other issues as well as um, crippling fatigue, brain fog, and, and with some of the patients at ground zero there in the San Francisco area and incline village where several of these outbreaks occurred um, uh, were had had the the immunological defect and therefore could not stop the replication of the virus so I think we agree um, you know really probably everybody on this panel and we agree with a- Andy Kaufman that you know healthy people don't express um, um, RNA in the blood, uh, and 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 their exosomes are like packaging or signaling molecules of your own cell extradate that that packages and protects. Um, um, RNA viruses and and other messengers, RNA messengers communication between white blood cells in an immune response. But viruses also bud out of your cells using your own membranes. And those are the pictures we show in in the book, actually the budding virus is proof it's not dropped in contamination when it buds and extrudes of course that's cellular debris that's 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 cholesterol that's what makes the particle and the viral proteins are actually studied in that and expressed just as we see the spike proteins on so-called COVID-19 they're called envelope viruses the envelope isn't part all the entire virus it, it viruses use the all the host replication machinery including retrovirus where the proviruses are in 
inserted into the genome. And they're quickly silenced by DNA methylation machinery. They're crippled by many, many different mechanisms such that they're never expressed. But when we're immune compromised, when we're immune activated and the cell divides, you're going to make many more copies of the reservoir. And this is, this is that stepwise gradient of immune activation we used to show with the development of AIDS. And then my PhD thesis said, as, minute, as soon as you see zero conversion, you simply stop the replication of the virus and nobody will ever get disease. And in fact, we now know from Magic Johnson and others from the early 90s, if you stop rep replication of the disease, you in fact, decades later, can find no evidence of, of XMRV mm -hmm. um, suggesting, I mean, of HIV suggesting they've cleared the reservoirs. And we saw this in the XMRVs. And, and importantly, our work back with HIV and Gary Owen's work in the XMRV show all you need is the envelope to drive prostate cancer. So expression of one tenth, the envelope protein of the virus, that immunogenic protein is all you see expressed. And we've injected this in MMR in polio vaccine, we're injecting the proviruses. It's infection by injection. And when we compromise the immune system, as in COVID-19 with the mask, with any other vaccine, we activate expression, increase the reservoirs and increase the chance not only that the carrier will become ill, um, but will spread disease. And that's exactly what we found in HIV and the XMRVs, where I could isolate HIV from saliva of the of supposedly the French-Canadian um, airline steward who was kind of ground zero for Luc Montagnier's patient go uh -huh. in France. And so how does the disease spread then? Is it transmitted through a viral spread? It, it, it can be, but um, the, um, the more, I mean, it can be spread in large aerosolized droplets if the mm -hmm. patients are very, very sick. But, um, and, and it can be spread through, you know, blood and body fluids, through, um, through um, sexual practices. We, we found patients and families in groups and outbreaks where, for instance, an orchestra an orchestra in, um, in, I believe it was North Carolina, from the instruments, from the spit sharing. We found a wedding party where they all drank out of the wine glass in different levels. And, and the, the, um, the bride was actually the patient and she was stressed. Um, and, and this was decades before she was part of our original studies in cohorts. And she was actually treated um, and silenced the virus with antiretroviral therapy. I've got some of it right here. Um, I, I I, I borrow from the rich and give to the poor. Um, but but this is what we did in HIV. We never allowed a s expression of any part of the virus so as not to create the autoimmunity or the inflammatory response um, that the replicating virus, and it's a signature of disease. And that signature of disease is those inflammatory, are those inflammatory cytokines that don't have the proper dimmer switch. So, it's like, so any other infection or injection, inoculation, um, becomes like throwing gasoline on a fire. So huh. yes, they're spread the same way. And this is why you don't want to wear a mask and immune suppress. And this is what we clearly showed in our book, you will spread HIV. And there are millions of Americans infected that are what we call elite controllers because they don't, they have a mutation in their macrophage. It's a receptor called Delta CCR5 and it's 35 base pair deletion. And because it blocks the passage through those 
those exosomes through, we used to call them lipid rafts of the macrophage to the T cell because it prevents that spread. Peptide T blocked that interaction. And again, it's the subject of the movie, The Dallas Fires Club. So what did our FDA do? They kept the peptide T away from us. So it's it's prevent the cells from being infected or, or, um, or the virus from being expressed and you'll never see disease. And yet along hmm. the way for my entire 40 year history, those kinds of therapies, just as we see in COVID-19, were forced to compromise our immune system with heavily contaminated um, vaccines, not just of viruses, but Borrelia, Babesia, Mycoplasma, mold, HHVs, herpes viruses. You know, we discovered that HHV8, Kaposi's sarcoma, herpes virus, you know, we long knew Kaposi's sarcoma was a disease of people in the southern tip of Italy. It was endemic in, in that region in old people. And then in the 80s or late 70s, we started seeing young men at UCLA with Kaposi sarcoma. Mm-hmm. And so when their immune system got so compromised, they started expressing <clears throat> their herpes viruses. So EBV, when we see chronic EBV, when we see chronic HHG6, as, as Charles Ortley, Peter Duisburg. So all of those people were right to say HIV doesn't cause AIDS. It's, it's a combination of things that cripple your immune system and render you unable to fight any kind of infection and, and thus... Um, you know, you, you're immune compromised and, and ultimately can die from that. Mm-hmm. And did I hear you correctly? You're saying that the viruses won't really replicate unless there's already an inflammation within the system and the, and the immune systems then isn't functioning properly. Correct. So they, they, and, and they don't demethylate because they're heavily, heavily methylated. There are 22 CPGs in the promoter of the gamma retroviruses. They're simple retroviruses. They're the most dangerous, the ones we isolated. And I showed those data in Ottawa. It was the last talk I was given. I was able to give publicly before my career was ruined because all this simply made too much sense. And when you make sense and you show the problem in here now, we hear from another Chinese scientist. Scientist Dr. Yang, I believe her name is Y-A-N, a paper from 2012, right after my work was stopped. Look at the supplemental materials, mouse retrovirus, MLVs, so spleen focus forming virus, VP62, the synthetic clone. Clearly, these were manipulated in, you know, the mouse models, the xenotropic mice and the cell lines, the Vero monkey kidney cells that is our polio vaccine um, are, are contaminated and have been since the 90s. And that's what our papers show. And when you inject these viruses, you don't need to show infectious and transmissible virus. So the people at risk and who are dying right now of COVID are the people that have all of these viruses. And and, and the flu vaccines are carrying the coronaviruses and the polio vaccines uh, are carrying um, are carrying the the retroviruses, the gamma retroviruses, among many others. I mean, and, but as I said, Borrelia, Lyme, when you when chronic Lyme disease, when you don't see a bullseye rash, it's because it was infected rather than injected. The bullseye rash is your immune system going to the site of injury if you inject these things directly into the blood supply. Kind of all bets are off. And that's what we've seen. And we've just denied these diseases for 40 years and called the people who have them crazy or, or somehow genetically defective when, in fact, it's an environmental toxins being spread through the population. Hmm. All right. Well, Dr. Seneff, do you have anything you want to add to that or, or what are your thoughts? 
<laughs> yes, well, thank you, Judy. They're very enlightening, and I, I always in, admire all your knowledge about all these uh, viruses. And mm -hmm. I, I certainly find it fascinating the concept that these H X, XMRV viruses are getting into the vaccines and whatnot. Um, of course, my topic is glyphosate. My, my, my main focus is glyphosate, the chemical in Roundup, which is uh, all over the food supply. The United States uses more Roundup than any other country in the world. And we have um, the highest rates of things like obesity and high rates of diabetes and autism. And I think it's connected. And um, I think Roundup, uh, I think glyphosate plays a, is a major player in the COVID-19 epidemic. And the data that I see are very consistent that the countries that use a lot of glyphosate and particularly that are advanced in the area of biofuel development, that combination use a lot of glyphosate and, and a lot of make a lot of biofuels out of uh, glyphosate contaminated crops. Mm -hmm. And those countries are hit hard by COVID-19 quite consistently. Um, United States, of course, Brazil. In Africa, South Africa is by far the hardest hit and also by far the biggest user of glyphosate. So when you look all around the world, it's quite a consistent story that um, glyphosate makes people susceptible to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And in particular, I think glyphosate contamination in the air in cities where they are big on biofuels. And so Europe has been a real leader in biofuels and Europe also uses a lot of diesel fuel in its cars. And um, they have like 20% of their cars are diesel, I believe. They use much more diesel than we do. Diesel mm -hmm. fuel is toxic. It, it's a much more um, toxic um, air pollutant than gasoline. And, um, and you have those nanoparticles that are uh, part of the, what gets released from the cars. And those nanoparticles actually trap the virus, but I think they're also trapping the glyphosate. And I think the glyphosate is not is also getting released from the fuels that are derived from the glyphosate contaminated crops. So very interesting story that has emerged in my view, um, where uh, contamination with glyphosate in the lungs in particular, so breathing glyphosate from the air mm -hmm. is damaging the immune system in the lungs and making the lungs much more susceptible to the virus. And there's some very specific things that I see. And in particular, there's a whole set of um, enzymes, called, proteins called collectins. There's a whole bunch of different proteins called collectins that are produced. Um, the macrophage, for example, the immune cells produce these <coughs> proteins and these right. collectins have the ability to trap a virus and then to and then to deliver it to the macrophage so that it can clear it. And uh, these collectins have a characteristic feature of a collagen-like stalk that has long sequences of GXY, GXY, GXY. Every third amino acid is a glycine. I believe glyphosate's destructive mechanism is through gly glycine substitution in proteins. So these collectins are extremely susceptible to glyphosate contamination, mm -hmm. which disrupts their alpha helix. They have this triple helix formation that doesn't happen because glycine is critical for that. And then they don't work. And then the macrophages are unable to clear the virus. This is what okay. I think is happening. And in particular, what's very interesting is um, studies on vaping. I knew about this uh, lung disease that was associated with vaping. Right. Uh, smoking these e-cigarettes, even before COVID hit, I was aware of this disease and I was looking into it. And it's very, very interesting because this disease is, um, is these cigarettes, these e-cigarettes, their base is glycerol. It, that's the, that's what their solvent is. They put the nicotine into the glycerol. Right. And glycerol is a, is the major byproduct of the biofuel industry. So there's lots of glycerol coming out as a waste product from the biofuel industry. And I think that glycerol is being used for the e-cigarettes and that it's contaminated with glyphosate. So they're smoking glyphosate when they smoke those e-cigarettes and that glyphosate is hurting their lungs. 
mm-hmm. and a study on um, mice exposed exposed the mice to e-cigarette fumes even without the nicotine the mice still reacted badly to the e-cigarette fumes and in particular they looked at the mouse lungs to see what what the damage was they saw that those mice when exposed to um, the flu virus influenza they had a much more acute reaction, a lot more inflammation, exactly what we're seeing with the patients who are dying from COVID-19. Right. Inflammatory response was out of control in these mice that had been exposed to fumes uh, from the e-cigarettes for four months. And in particular, they saw that these collectins, there are, there are collectins that are part of what the surfactant proteins in, uh, in the lungs that are, that are essential for trapping the viruses uh, have this collagen-like stalk. And uh, I think they're getting disrupted by glyphosate. They saw that they were deficient in those mice that were exposed to those uh, uh, e-cigarette fumes. Mm -hmm. So it's making a lot of sense to me. I think it's in the glycerol and the e-cigarettes. It's also in the diesel fuel. It's probably in the bioethanol. There's biogas. I mean, you have all these biofuels that are coming out of the... um, Um, This concept, which is a really nice concept, I think that we can reduce the uh, fossil fuel consumption by by producing fuel from the waste products of of the crop. So they take like the wheat crop, they spray it with glyphosate right before harvest. They harvest the wheat. And of course, that ends up with a lot of glyphosate in the wheat that causes celiac disease. And then they take the the stalks that are left over and take them on a barge down to New York City and turn them into biofuel. So New York City is a major leader in the biofuel industry, and it was the hotspot. It was the first place where the epidemic went on fire. We had all those overflow of people in the ICU in New York City was how sort of the epidemic started here. And New York City is a is a leader in the biofuel industry. And I think that's all connected. And then the glyphosate could cause the kind of inflammation that Dr. Mikevitz is talking about, which makes people more susceptible to the COVID virus. Exactly. It, it fits very well. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. And let's get uh, Dr. Young's opinion about all of this. Uh, I think I think uh, you're you're of the opinion that the the root cause of disease is inflammation as well. No, inflammation is a symptom of acidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't you can't separate those two words. Uh, if you have inflammation, you have a compromised uh, internal fluid problem that not necessarily represents itself in the blood plasma, because the body's going to do everything it can to maintain and protect the delicate pH balance and biochemistry of the, of the blood in order, order to maintain the integrity of, of the red blood cells. Uh, so what's really being compromised is the acidic environment of where the blood pushes its waste out as well as the cells push their waste out into the interstitium, which is the largest organ of the human body, uh, which contains the fluids uh, that are known as the interstitial fluids. And so this conversation research is, is a new field has just been recognized uh, uh, as uh, a field of, of endeavor as far as uh, scientific research. And, uh, but yet it uh, is absence in most of your uh, biology books and medical texts other than just by name. Uh, interstitial fluids uh, have been seriously studied uh, by NASA and of course is very, very important as far as determining the effects of, of, of uh, uh, zero gravity on, on the human body. And of course, these tests are being performed by, by them. As far as the general public, uh, being able to compare the interstitial fluids against the blood plasma is not available, unfortunately. It should be available because you would be getting 100% of the information. Where we're finding glyphosate uh, 
ethylene uh, alcohol and propylenes and and tit uh, titanium dioxide. All of these are showing up in the interstitial fluids. Mm. Uh, this is from air pollution, from food pollution, from water pollution, even uh, even hydrogen uh, arsenic uh, are, are compounds which uh, are are very, very prominent in the New York City area uh, because of their fracking, because of their petroleum business. Uh, it is an epic center for chemical poisoning and radiation poisoning. Uh, but, but I have to agree with, uh, I couldn't have said it better than what Judy said. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was beautiful, it was perfect uh, in what she's saying. Uh, Stephanie, it's nice to meet you and I appreciate uh, your endeavors in, in educating people on chemical poisoning, because I think those are the two major contributing factors. Uh, when we look at the, uh, the definition of a virus, a virus in Latin, it means poison. And so when you, get bit, when you get bit by a rattlesnake, we can blame it on the bite and we can see the evidence of the bite, but it's the, it's this, it's the venom that kills, it's the poison that kills. And so there's lots of entryways into the human body. You know, uh, there's oral, rectal, uh, skin is, is, a lot of people don't realize that the skin is highly absorptive. In fact, we eliminate over 30% of our waste comes out through the pores of the skin. This is what causes skin rashes, skin itching, inflammation. All of the challenges with the skin is most people are urinating through their own pores, uh, getting rid of what? Interstitial fluid, which is which is a product of what sweat is, but it's also a product, it's, it's byproduct, it's called, called urine. Urine is a product of the interstitial fluids. Mm -hmm. So as it relates to the germ theory and the terrain theory, uh, you will find germs uh, associated uh, with any cellular breakdown. I mean, even in food, you'll, you'll find bacteria, you'll find mold. Uh, the germ theory then assumes uh, whether you agree or disagree, I'm just expressing my point of view, the germs are not causative factors, they're symptomology. So the question I think really comes down to uh, what are viruses by question, I would associate, associate those with various uh, chemical biologicals that, that really contribute to a state of imbalance, specifically in the fluids of the interstitium, the interstitial fluids is where the genesis of all Disease. Now what we're seeing is increased amounts of interstitial pneumonia uh, because people are talking about interstitial fluids and we're actually getting, as we peel this onion back, we're getting to the main source of where's the origin of this. Well, it's a compromised interstitial fluid. When you're measuring any cancerous patient, and I use the word as, a, as, 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 a, as an adjective or a verb, you can use it in a cancerous condition uh, rather than nomenclature naming uh, diseases like we'd name cats and dogs. I would suggest that there are no specific diseases. There's only specific disease, disease conditions, which what happens in order to promote whatever's being promoted for the day or the week or the month or the drug of the month or the, or the, the nutraceutical or pharmaceutical that's being promoted, uh, you know, how is this affecting uh, the internal environment? is really not discussed. It's really directed, will this kill a virus? Will this kill a bacterium? Uh, and these are actually symptoms of cellular breakdown. In the 80s, when I was looking at uh, 
uh, cellular breakdown, particularly with the erythrocytes, the red blood cells, you know, in the aging process, we determined that one of the late stage processes that is associated with chronic disease is the breakdown of the cellular membrane and the membrane expressing what we referred to in the 80s as the corona effect. The corona effect, uh, which I've got uh, micrographs dating clear back to the 80s, uh, showing this effect that happens, which is, which is a result of what that cell is living in or being exposed in. When I wrote the book, The PH Miracle, uh, you know, one of the main uh, metaphors, which I think most people can understand, relates to, you know, uh, the question, what would you do if you had a goldfish and the fish is sick, would you treat the goldfish or would you change the environment in which it lives in? And the answer is obvious that the, the, the fish is only as healthy as the environment which it lives in. So mm-hmm. etiologically, would we treat the fish of a, a specific viral infection or would we change the environment? And I look at, I look at Taipei, which has, has had a total over the period of time we've been tracking death rates and we look at the population in, in Taiwan, and we can only attribute seven deaths, seven, to uh, COVID. In fact, they haven't had a, 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 you know, here again, they haven't had a single death since April. What are they doing different? If we look at Singapore, 27 deaths. And yet when we look at some of the hot spots, which one, is, one of course, is Milan, uh, another one is is uh, Los Angeles. Another hot spot is New York City, and I think you would all agree. And we look at the level of air pollution, uh, chemical pollution, and radiation pollution. I think I think the context of that can answer. And and of course, with uh, uh, Stephanie uh, bringing out the very very important point of glyphosates uh, within our food. And that association with what is known as the the Zika or Zika virus is really nothing more than glyphosate poisoning. It's coming from the food. Now, the Brazilians knew that because because my daughter-in-law is a Brazilian. I asked her, have you contacted your family about the the Zika Zika virus? And she says, well, yeah, we already know about that. That's that's food poisoning, (laughs) you know, and it's coming from a chemical. You know, and I go, well, well, that's well, why isn't that narrative here in the United States? Well, it's not popular for obvious reasons. And I don't want to get political, but it's obvious. I mean, you can ask yourself the question and then start doing your own research. Mm-hmm. So if you look at these various disease conditions associated with uh, viruses, um, I would suggest, yes, are there cell fragments associated that uh, may be of RNA, DNA source. And where is that coming from? Well, it can come from animal sources. Uh, it can come from human sources. It can come from what you breathe. And I won't deny the fact that these cannot, these can be, I should say, these can be contributing factors. But if I take a seed and I throw it on, on asphalt or concrete, even if I water, it's highly unlikely, even though it may be getting sunlight, it's highly unlikely it's going to sprout and live. Mm-hmm. But if I put it in a perfect environment, okay, of soil, and I water it, you know, and, and I dung it, and, and it sprouts, and it becomes alive. So I, w- I would like you to think 
as a possibility uh, that these contributing factors of airborne particulates, and they could be micro particulates or particles, uh, and a micron is one twenty-five thousandths of an inch, or they could be nano particulates. You know, which we're now we're talking about a billionth, you know, of a micron, and so you're you're looking at these these particulates, and these have now now new research on uh, nanotechnology and and disease is getting is there's a lot more research in this particular area, and uh, and they're contributing factor to compromising the internal environment, thus then putting stress on the membrane. And, and then there's a very, very important group of uh, cells in our brainstem. It's called the, the nucleus of, of, uh, of tractus, uh, Solaritus uh, uh, ascites. It's a group of brainstem, it's a group of cells in the brainstem that controls the homeostasis of the entire body. And uh, you can suppress that very simply by not breathing correctly, absorbing too much of your carbon dioxide, uh, compromising your internal environment with what you eat, what you drink, what you breathe, what you uh, feel, what you believe. All, all of these are contributing factors uh, that can suppress that. Stress can suppress that. And so uh, if we go back then to what Judy is saying, do I, and does she, and I think this is true with, uh, with Stephanie, uh, are, are germs present in a cancerous condition? Yes. Can you find RNA fragments? Yes. You know, can you isolate those? Yes. But can you actually isolate them, culture them, and then create a disease complex using conscious postulates, which probably would not be legally or morally right to do <laughs> you know to, to harm another individual you know for research sake but the bottom line is is this is very very uh this is very very difficult of which the, the u.s government stopped funding this monkey business when they were infecting you know by isolating these so-called uh rna fragments uh and then injecting those into monkeys but they couldn't create the same symptoms they couldn't cr create an immune deficiency. And so that kind of, that funding kind of went away. Now there are symptoms of immune defi deficiency. Uh, but I would suggest the true immunity is based in managing and maintaining the delicate biochemistry, which includes the pH of the internal fluids of the body. And it begins with understanding the interstitial fluids as the genesis of where a lot of this begins coming from the outside world, okay? So we have environmental contributing factors. You have internal factors such as metabolism, which produces an acid which we're all familiar with. It's called lactic acid. I mean, has anyone over-exercised in their life and felt pain from that over-exercise? Well, you can't have that pain in your muscle unless the interstitial fluids push out that acid from metabolism called lactic acid and it's being hold, held in the connective tissue. So we now know the pathology of inflammation is the pathology of where is the chemical poisoning coming from. And, and that would be true with radiation poisoning. Uh, mm -hmm. 
So these are these are contributing factors, and there's very there's many of them. Sugar is another contributing factor. Increased amounts of uric acids are contributing factors, and there's many sources of those. And we know the association of the disease complex which they're associated with. Gout is associated with uric acid. Cancer is associated with lactic acid. Hmm. In other words, you can't separate the the waste product, whether it's coming from the outside world. Now, what makes matters worse are when cells start breaking down and these particulates, they become pollution. This is what activates the so-called immune system. It's the true immunity, innate immunity, which is controlled by these ascites cells in your brainstem to manage and maintain that delicate balance is controlled by managing that interstitial fluid. And whether acid is going to go out through the pores of the skin or whether it's going to go out through urination or we can't get it out because of congestion, it's going to go into the fatty tissue. So i.e., you know, the fat around your hips, your thighs, your waistline, for a woman into the breast tissue, into the brain. And these are the contributing factors that I think directly then are associated with, with, uh, with a cancerous condition, which is just a stage of acidosis. Enervation or loss of energy, which is one of the symptoms of COVID, I'm tired, I'm fatigued. The ascites generates these, these uh, glial brain cells, initiates the coughing when you breathe smoke in, the cough is the brain cells initiating that because it's been signaled by the toxin that has been ingested through oral ingestion or nasal ingestion. So the focus here, if we really want to come to a cure, if there's really those who are truly interested from a scientific perspective, and I believe that there are many out there that really want to get to the bottom of this, we have to peel back the onion, okay? And germs are there, yes. We accept their presence. Are they a contributing factor to congestion? Yes. But mosquitoes don't create the swamp. Yeah. Flies do not create the garbage. And if we start killing the flies or killing the virus or killing the germ, or or this person has candida, this person has aspergillus, this person has, if we go after the flies or the mosquitoes without cleaning up the swamp, we really haven't provided an environment that's conducive for cells to thrive in and survive in. So environments is very easy to test. All you have to do is get some pH hydrant paper at your local uh, you know, pharmacy, go home in the morning, uh, which is the most acidic time of the day, and test your morning urine. And if your morning urine is below 7.2, then you've got a urine decomposition of the interstitial fluids of the interstitium. And there are ways to improve that. And the, and the drugs that are working the therapeutics like zinc, like uh, hydroxychloroquine, which is quinine pushing an alkaloid into the cells to raise the pH of the intracellular fluids, the drugs that are working for AIDS, like protease inhibitors, oh my heavens, that's an alkaloid. Why are people getting better? And why are their immune system being supported? Because of protease inhibitors, not because of AZT, AZT is a poison. It's just another acid based upon the germ theory 
is we're going to kill this virus that has infected this body. So I think the toxin here is really the virus's etiology that is being promulgated through various sources. And the actual disease, the actual disease is ignorance. And the treatment is common sense. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, put on your, we've lost our common sense because we've been programmed and manipulated into thinking that these are the disease. Yes, they can be isolated. Yes, they're there. I admit to it. But why are they there? The same reason flies love garbage. The reason mosquitoes attract to a high moisture and you know a swampy environment. Right. The same reason why I have to treat my swimming pool with various chemicals to maintain its alkalinity. The same thing that, uh, that a Nobel Prize winner, Alex Carell, who received the Nobel Prize, do you know what his discovery was? How to live forever. That death is a choice. He kept a chicken alive indefinitely till he pulled the plug after 20 years. And all he did was manage the terrain. Wow. Alex Carell received it posthumously, the Nobel Prize in the 60s. He discovered this in the early 1900s. He's referred to as the modern day organ transplant scientist. It's why we have the technology that if we take a lung or a liver or a pancreas out of a body, that if we preserve it in a proper environment, we can then transport it and put it in somebody else's body. And, and if you don't want to die, then you have to make different choices. Or if you don't want a particular symptomology of inflammation or induration or ulceration or degeneration, if you're fatigued and tired, then all you have to do is stop it. Right. Anyway. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, Dr. Mikevitz, do you want to add on to that? or And then I'd like to get from you an explanation of how a healthy immune system works and, and, and how it functions to detoxify the body. Yeah, well, sure. First of all, for, um, for glyphosate in glycine, um, our central intracellular antioxidant, our frontline defense, uh, is glutathione. And that's three amino acids, including glycine. So if you've substituted um, uh, glyphosate for glycine, then you can't do that reaction. So you're already depleted in your immunity. That's your immune response, um, along with the type 1 interferons in your nasal secretions, in your skin, in your sweat. The type 1 interferons are there, the front line of your immune response. Mm -hmm. And so um, to complete the toxins in the environment and driving factors, there's PFOAs, the octanoic acid, perfluorooctanoic acid, and um, uh, Teflon-containing fluoride, toxic fluoride that literally will eat through steel, sprayed in those blue masks. So you're, you're trying to breathe, you're compromising yourself, you're already depleted in glyphosate, and you're inhaling. So um, um, some of the investigators at childrenshealthdefense.org tested blood levels. So blood levels of PFOA P, um, and PF. PTFEs, uh, the, the fluid, toxic fluoride and, and organic acids, again, just as Robert Young said, contributing to making our blood and our interstitial fluid toxic. So we can't, we can't clear those. And as we breathe, um, the balance 
the, the, the blood stem cells for our immune system. Um, he said it very clear, uh, Robert said it very clearly and lovely. It's a, it's a delicate balance. Of, of homeostasis. And we've got hair trigger at sites of tissue injuries from um, uh, what we call a master regulator of the immune system, TGF-beta. And so TGF-beta um, literally can drive the inflammation along with um, the suppressors of cytokine signaling. They're so-called SOX genes. So they have hair trigger to suppress cytokine signaling and hair trigger, turn on TGF-beta, turn on the entire uh, hematopoietic stem cell inflammatory cells to respond to the appropriate pathogen. So those are right there ready to go and, and, um, and, and drive the disease in, in the susceptible. And all you have to do literally is wear the mask. Or as we know from my friend James Grunvig and, and others, the 5G, um, that energy, and those are also in the cities, the, the um, uh, electrochemical, will, if you will, toxins of the energy of 5G separates hemoglobin. And so um, uh, Dr. Young was talking about the erythrocytes, the red blood cells. Well, if you separate hemoglobin from iron, iron ends up in the blood in the form of ferritin, and that drives the same inflammatory signature because that's a danger signal. Mm -hmm. So there are pathogen-associated molecular patterns and danger-associated molecular patterns, and their job is to turn up the flame to to clear, but then to restore, to balance once the threat is removed. But we haven't removed the threats because we, you know, that they're ever present in the toxins in our food, in our air, in our water, as we just as we just heard, and now in the masks. So we're we're compromising huh. ourselves with lactic acidosis. I saw this weekend that a lot more NFL players had injuries, muscle injuries. So they can't clear the lactic acid from their muscles. So they're do doing tissue damage as they're at high metabolic activity playing football. And then they put the mask on on the sideline and can't clear the waste and are in ingesting the toxins. So you can start to see where, um, you know, the, the, the measures of um, is supposedly controlling the disease, with which the powers that be know is not um, at all controlling the diseases, but driving the diseases. Clear that you don't inject influenza viruses attenuated along with cellular debris, mercury, and uh, coronaviruses in a compromised individual or in the most susceptible with COPD. And yet we've been doing it for years and the, the Prevnar vaccine at the same time with heavy doses of aluminum. And as um, Stephanie's shown quite clearly over the years, the vaccines are heavily contaminated again with glyphosate. So all of the toxins in these in these um, shots and, and now you're trapping them as you don't breathe air and you can't clear and mm -hmm. detox, as we just heard, that's that's driving the diseases. Well, what are these viruses that when you're ingesting a virus from, from outside of you, is that, a, is that a toxin that then creates a, a toxic environment that causes the disease? Or is it a particle or a, you know, a, 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 a genetic sequence that then actually could work to help I mean, you know, <laughs> it's not a, just, the, it's yeah. not a particle. It's a, it's a particle when you're exposed to a natural a virus that has been expressed and exposed. That's a particle. That's protein, and you're going to break that down um, instantly in your nasal passages on your skin. We have mm -hmm. antimicrobial 
microbial anti, uh, compounds in plants and, and natural things. But the nucleic acid sequence isn't a virus at all. As as I know, we've talked before with Dr. Andy Kaufman. This is um, you know this is this is a signal to your immune system, and and when that that um, nucleic acid is seen in the in the blood or in the in, interstitial fluid, you, you know you, that that's a danger signal. That's a pathogen associated molecular pattern. So we're injecting pieces of lipopolysaccharide and pieces of viruses, hundreds of, as as my friend Dr. Teresa Deicher shows, hundreds of micrograms of nucleic acids um, that injected in in every shot um, from um, many many species so um, it, it and along with chemicals formaldehyde glutaraldehyde glycerol we you know everything uh-huh. we've been talking about is in that needle so as it, it's infection from j- injection so exposed in a natural route to a particle is a nothing to your immune system it says eh, that's nothing we just take it out with your glutathione all the proteases in your mouth in your nasal passages as we just heard um, you know just uh, inhibitors, uh, enzymes. Um, we have quite a bit so that our food, if, um, toxic, if this is broken down before it ever gets into the blood. Sure. But do you think that some people do get sick from inhaling the aerosols with viral particles in them? Oh, sure. That's, um, that, that's for sure. That's why you wouldn't want to trap those in a mask. And right. that is what's happening. And, and these particles are just they're just, they signal, they get inside your body and they signal to the body that there's an issue going on and, and the immune system kicks in. Correct. And it, is the immune system then trying to kill the virus, but the virus is just the signal. The, the immune system just gets kicked on because of toxicity that's already present or inflammation that's already pre-existing. Is that your yeah, theory? The, no, the immune system clears clears the viruses or suppresses the viruses. You turn on, um, as we heard, the, the defensins, the, uh, the various um, uh, carbohydrate binding uh, antigens in the environment. So they, these are all um, natural, you know, they're natural uh, immune uh, processes that we do to control all of the exposures. So our, our bodies really know the difference from, of infection from without and within because in our own genetic code, we rarely have what we call naked CPGs, that cytosine 5-prime phosphate of, of guanine in your base pairs. They're heavily methylated because those genes aren't supposed to be expressed. Well, LPS, um, um, where some of the adjuvants in vaccines are literally um, naked CPGs. And this is a huge danger signal because those genes aren't supposed to be expressed in, in any given time in a response. So, so yeah, the, the the flames going on, and we've we've crippled ourselves from the dimmer switch of inflammation, which is the endocannabinoid system. So, the endocannabinoid system is a lipid signaling system that we know that says, ah, you know, we've controlled that. Turn down the flame. Well, we've removed these plants, and and the stress has taken the natural. Um, endogenous cannabinoids like anandamide and we're so heavily stressed and the response is like a chronic response that we've totally depleted these from our environments and um and the last time anybody um really sees um the healthy endocannabinoids uh, is during breastfeeding and of course we've we've stopped that <laughs> for and and are half toxic um uh bre- not breast milk but other milks in in, in 
uh, for especially the poorest who are more exposed to all of these environmental toxins. And here we're kept away from organic foods when we right now in COVID-19. So you're forced to go to a grocery store uh, and, 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 and literally all of the packaged and processed food is, is contaminated with glyphosate, as we heard. So it really is a perfect storm. Um, and, and so it's ridiculous to say this virus or that virus, because 99.8% of the people, as we know, who are exposed never get sick because they have a healthy immune system and they've kept it in balance. And it'll be cleared right through the immune system um, by things like glutathione and other things. It never establishes a stronghold at all. So it's these asymptomatic carriers are ridiculous. It's cleared in the feces, in the urine, in the sweat, as, as uh, Robert just said. All right. Well, Dr. Seneff, you have, uh, what are your thoughts on all of this right now? Lots of thoughts. I'm not quite sure where to start and what to say. Um, Several different threads, but certainly the glyphosate angle, of course, because that's mm -hmm. my thing. Um, What I have become very excited about since last December, actually, is deuterium. And I know Judy knows something about deuterium as well. Um, Very, very interesting story is emerging with respect to deuterium. Deuterium is uh, is heavy hydrogen. It's a natural um, isoform of, of hydrogen. It has uh, a, a neutron as well as a proton, so it's twice as heavy as hydrogen. It's found naturally in seawater at 155 parts per million, which turns out to be a lot. I mean, you think of aluminum toxicity or you know aluminum or nickel or, or arsenic. Uh, they could or might or might not be in your environment, but deuterium is always in everybody's environment because it's in the water. You cannot get rid of it. You have to. You're exposed to this amount of deuterium all the time in the water and in your food. And the body actually, um, the, the problem with deuterium is that the mitochondria get really, it's like putting gas, putting sugar in the gas tank. If you get have too much deuterium in the mitochondria, they don't work. They break. Mm. And they break specifically so as to not be able to make enough ATP and also to spew out reactive oxygen species. So those are two things that mitochondria do a lot when they're sick. And sick mitochondria are associated with all kinds of diseases, just about every chronic disease is connected to, you know, some kind of pathology in the mitochondria. So what I think is happening is that glyphosate is disrupting the body's natural system that, that manages deuterium properly. Uh, and, and I see that from, I know what, which proteins are going to be most susceptible to glyphosate. I've been studying that a lot and I understand exactly what profile of protein is susceptible, more susceptible to glyphosate. And there's a whole class of proteins that are called flavonoids, flavonoids flavoproteins and flavoproteins bind to flavins and flavins are um they come well they're a product of the shikimate pathway which is the pathway that glyphosate blocks right but also um they have phosphate in them and the proteins that bind flavins um, bind the phosphate and flavin at a place where they have a a motif that's gxxgxg three uh, three glycine residues that are absolutely essential at that place the place where these proteins bind nad FAD, FMN, all three of those are phosphate-containing proteins that bind, phosphate-containing molecules that bind to the enzymes that manage deuterium. And all three of those places are susceptible to glyphosate disruption. So I think glyphosate is systemically disrupting the proteins, the flavoproteins, which are really, really important proteins that are involved with maintaining the low deuterium in the mitochondria. And so as a consequence of glyphosate messing up those proteins, the mitochondria are swimming in deuterium and they they break. And I think, in fact, that the viruses, this is something I've only recently come to figure out, the viruses 
are actually one of the main roles they play is to reboot the mitochondria. There's actually a whole uh, reaction to the viruses that takes place. It's quite remarkable. This inflammatory response and um, the, this uh, tissue swelling, all this stuff that's going on, when you look at the details of it, the virus is actually, so the virus actually, and Judy mentioned the virus picks up a, um, a, a lipid envelope as it goes through the envelope, uh, the, the membrane of the cell. So it's been infected. The cell has multiplied all these viruses. They're coming out of the cell. They're picking up uh, cholesterol and fats from the membrane of the cell as they leave the cell. And so they are actually distributing all this cholesterol and fat throughout the vasculature as they get uh -huh. into the blood and they have this, you know, fatty shell. And that fatty shell gets attacked by those reactive oxygen species that are produced by the inflammatory response. And when those lipids get oxidized, there's this uh, enzyme called lipoxygenase. Absolutely fascinating enzyme that has an incredibly sophisticated ability to choose hydrogen over deuterium. It's the highest what they call kinetic isotope effect that I have seen in any, in any enzyme. And, these, uh, and this enzyme lipoxygenase is not a flavoprotein, so it's not sensitive to glyphosate in the same way that the flavoproteins are, but it does the same thing the flavoproteins do, only it does it better. So it's able to produce um, water from those fats. It takes the hydrogens out of those fats, puts them with oxygen and makes water. It makes deuterium depleted water. And then it actually absolutely fascinating signaling response to that lipoxygenase. It produces these leukotrienes, which are the products from the fats when it oxidizes them. And the leukotrienes are really amazing signaling molecules that cause the capillary to shut off its source of blood. It, it constricts the blood at the entry point from the artery, and it opens up leaks at the other side, on the venous side, and it's making deuterium-depleted water in the middle by oxidizing, by making these leukotrienes, and it's then shuttling that deuterium-depleted water into the tissues to produce, you know, in, in COVID-19, the lungs get flooded with water, you feel like you're drowning. That water is being produced to try to jumpstart to try to feed to the mitochondria deuterium depleted water. And you have to shut down the mitochondria so they're not continuing to make water themselves. So they'll be able to receive the water that's coming in from the outside. And you shut them down through, hypo through hypoxia. So what happens is you get this signaling that turns off the oxygen supply. And the whole reaction to hypoxia is part of this whole process of rebooting the mitochondria. So the body is trying to systemically reboot the mitochondria through the use of the of the viruses. The viruses are helping the body, body to do that. And you have to go through this phase of extreme hypoxia, so extreme shortness of breath. You want to shut down your mitochondria. You pour in this healthy water from the outside that's produced by these enzymes that are attacking the viral coats that are coming from the membranes of the cell. So it's pretty amazing stuff. And I think that I'm onto something big here. I think it's maybe even the basis of, of most of these diseases and even the, the reason why viruses exist. And also the exosomes that are not viruses, but they're very similar to viruses. They also have these, you know, lipid membranes. All of those things are able to supply the trigger that creates this incredibly complicated response that has to do with rebooting the mitochondria because they are systemically uh, overloaded with deuterium. Okay, let's, uh, let's actually get uh, Dr. Mikovits's response, and then we'll go to Dr. Young. Um, what do you think about what Stephanie's saying, Judy? You're muted. Can you unmute? Yeah, I think she said exactly true, and I, I have been studying with 
um, Dr. Laszlo Boros and trying to understand um, deuterium and how um, retroviruses are literally like growth factors in order to get the deuterium out of the body. So uh, Stephanie just said it much more eloquently. And I took extensive notes because I noted that, and we talked about with Dr. Um, um, Andy Kaufman that the exosomes and and all the way back in uh, the 80s with uh, Bruce Lipton and, and our friend Candace Pert, um, you know the uh, the we see lots and lots and lots of exosomes in AIDS patients, you mm -hmm. know, and, and in, in the brain, we call them Louis bodies and we just keep changing the names of things, but it's a similar kind of process. And I, I really do think um, Stephanie's totally onto something and um, we haven't talked in a year or so, so we have to talk a lot more frequently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've been trying I know, to, I think Judy together. and I have a lot to learn from each other. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, um, can you just also describe the difference between an exosome and a virus? Because, you know, these these terms are getting bandied about quite a bit, but people don't really understand what they are. So will you clarify that? Well, an, an exosome is really an empty, an empty part of a lipid wrap. The, the, so the cholesterol and the other fats that are budding out of the cell, it's almost like a communication factor, um, but they're empty of the nucleic acid blueprint of a virus. So they don't necessarily have a provirus or any pieces of that. Um, they, they might um, they might have cytokines, chemokines, or other nano um, signaling molecules from immune cells in order to protect the messenger RNA. We we now appreciate that um, you know most of our genome is messenger RNA. Um, uh, microRNAs, um, long, long chain non-coding RNAs, which uh, my friend Richie Shoemaker, Dr. Shoemaker, has been associating with these um, neuroimmune diseases for decades. So it's the coding that is being disrupted and, and gets lost here. Huh, interesting. And do they serve similar functions in terms of immune, the immune system or what, what, what kind of, how do um, viruses and exosomes function differently? Um, well, yeah. So, so viruses, exosomes, they're signaling molecules. And yes, the virus in the envelope is packaging and sending the message into the cell in order to um, take over the cellular machinery and make more particles. So the exosomes are also signaling molecules that are packaging and protecting from the blood and in interstitial from the flame. So it's, it's protecting that from being degraded by natural processes, which would normally degrade those those compounds. I would like to say, to a first approximation, I'd love to see if Judy agrees with this, that exosomes and viruses have a lot in common, but the big thing that's different is that viruses know how to make more of themselves, whereas exosomes don't. Viruses are able to reproduce, uh -huh. so they're much more powerful and in a situation where the virus is needed. Um, the cell gets infected and the cell is able to produce more viruses, but if the system is healthy, the which doesn't reproduce. And one thing really interesting learned is that viruses um, actually soak up deuterium. And I found an amazing paper that talked about the fact that viruses are sensitive to temperature, which we all know, temperature, high temperature kills them. And starting at about 95 degrees Fahrenheit, so just a little bit below the natural body temperature, they start to fall apart. Hmm. And so when you run a fever, they fall apart a lot quicker. So a fever is a good way to fight the virus is you actually kill the virus by disrupting its membrane through temperature. However, deuterium actually stabilizes the virus membrane and protects it from being disrupted by temperature. So if there is high deuterium in the blood, 
the virus is going to soak that deuterium up and become more stable. So it's really fascinating. It's also going to make the water in the blood less uh, deuterium depleted because it's soaking it up like a sponge, soaking up the deuterium, leaving behind deuterium depleted water, which it then sends into the tissues uh, to create this uh, edema that is associated with things like COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess I'm getting a little bit confused because I'm wanting to, part of what you're saying is that viruses serve this positive function, and then it sounds though like then they have this negative function. So, Well, if your body is too sick, and of course the things that viruses are triggering to happen are also broken by glyphosate. So for example, in, in COVID-19, it's very interesting because inflammation upregulates heme oxygenase, and heme oxygenase breaks down heme. And normally, heme oxygenase is a positive thing. So if, what happens if you get the inflammation, it triggers heme oxygenase. The heme oxygenase converts, uh, breaks down heme, converts it into biliverdin, releases carbon monoxide, and also releases iron. And um, the carbon monoxide is a signaling molecule and causes more stuff to happen. But, but generally, everyone agrees, heme oxygenase resolves the inflammation and actually tames the inflammation. However, if you have a mutation in the glycine residue that at the place where it binds heme, you're in trouble. And they have multiple papers that have talked about mutations in that glycine residue disrupting heme oxygenase's ability to bind heme, mm-hmm. which disrupts its ability to convert heme into biliverdin. And, and the whole thing breaks down. And instead, the heme uh, oxygenase causes the iron to be released from heme as an Fe plus four, a plus four oxidized iron, which is extremely toxic. So it actually does the opposite, it increases the inflammation. And the iron reacts with the reactive oxygen species and all kinds of bad things. The tissue gets the the the, the uh, vessel wall gets damaged, and you get this uh, systemic in- inflammation of the arteries of, of the entire circulation system. That's what you see in acute cases of COVID. You COVID nineteen, you see this uh, systemic inflammation of the artery walls, and then you get multiple organ failure because the capillaries shut down. I mean, the whole system just goes into overdrive. Mm-hmm. And I think that a reason can be because glyphosate is disrupting heme oxygenase. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's uh, hear what Dr. Young has to say about all of this. And just this notion that maybe viruses serve a certain function unless unless they get out of control, like you've described it as as flies on garbage or, you know, mosquitoes in, in the water. Um, and that germs actually maybe serve this sort of this function to kind of clean up the mess uh, and then maybe only become a problem, if I'm hearing this right, become a problem when the, the they get kind of out of control or the cleanup mechanism gets out of control and, and can no longer be controlled. Like the cleanup mechanism is kind of like a fire. It's almost like <laughs> with the California wildfires going on, people are talking about controlled burns. Like if you right, do controlled yeah, burns, right. then you clean. I'm trying to simplify this stuff, you know, so that people can understand what we're yeah. talking about. Um, but the difference between a, a controlled burn and then a wildfire, and we have to do controlled burns occasionally, and so viruses can help with this. But yes. then, uh, if if there's too much underbrush or you know too much toxicity, then then they can get out of control, and, and the body can't stop the controlled burn. So anyway, uh, maybe a metaphor to work with. But but Dr. Young, what are your thoughts on all of this? Uh, well, lots, lots of thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe some visuals might help here in a minute if we can do some screen share, sharing. Uh, but I, I'd like to say, you know, as a metaphor of the fires, uh, the white blood cells, I would equate those to the, uh, uh, to the fire men and women that are out there trying to put out the fire, which is a contextual problem. And they're, they're trying to do, uh, you know, slow burns or, or use fire to fight fire with. Uh-huh. And when we look at... Uh, when I look at neutrophils, 
uh, under and watched them. And I've watched them for, for, for many, many years, as well as uh, seeing the influx of lymphocytes. And we look at the percentages there uh, and what their purposes are. Neutrophils are kind of like our garbage collectors that go around and pick up the garbage. So the more garbage you have, the higher the neutrophils. Uh, you're going to see those. The higher the inflammation, you're going to have another white blood cell in there called uh, an eosinophil. And so eosinophils deal with acidic waste products, and uh, but they don't attack anything. They just go around and collect things, and they make up two-thirds of our total white count. The other third are, are, are proactive, and they're kind of like, okay, let's call in the helicopters. You know, we've got to... We've got to, this fire is out of control, and we've got to do more than just use uh, a fire hose and, and a few firemen, you know, digging in the dirt and trying to uh, try to find a, a defense line. But when the when the when the lymphocytes are called in, uh, these uh, lymphocytes secrete, uh, which was mentioned, uh, they secrete reactive oxygen species uh, or oxygen radicals. Uh, which carry extra electrons, uh, such as uh, the hydroxyl radical, was, which is OH minus, is released by the lymphocyte to do what? To neutralize what's causing the inflammation. It's kind of like the helicopters or the planes are dropping, you know, a chemical to put the fire out. So they're releasing a compound, a chemical, to neutralize the increase of acidity. Well, where's that coming from? Well, it's coming from several sources. One of the sources is cellular breakdown due to the chemical poisoning. Well, where did the chemical poisoning come? We come back to Stephanie. Well, it comes from what you're eating and what you're drinking. Mm-hmm. So water pollution and food pollution, glyphosates. So, well, how can that be so detrimental to the environment? Why can't the body get rid of it? Because the body is either under physical or emotional stress. Uh, maybe that person's not exercising. Maybe that person uh, is, is eating or drinking acidic foods uh, such as alcohol or eating too much animal protein, which is producing a rise in sulfuric acid and uric acid uh, in combination with the rise in metabolism of citric acid and lactic acid. And so what happens then is when the environment is compromised, this is when the body goes into a defensive mechanism. It's an alarming situation which has to be rectified. And this is where the astrocytes come and play. This bundle of cells on your brain cell, because our bodies are electrical, sending communications back and forth, is send out the lymphocytes. The lymphocytes are called up to send out uh, these radical oxygen species to release nascent oxygen, atomic oxygen, to neutralize the increase in waste, to establish what? True immunity which is found in managing and maintaining the delicate pH balance of the intracellular, interstitial, and blood pH. If not, the patient dies. And in every case, every case, you'll find the patient in a chronic condition in decompensated acidosis of the interstitial fluids of the interstitium. How do we know this? It's because we test the biochemistry. Another factor that we find is the patient is in hypercalcemia. And their magnesium levels are elevated, not in the blood. They could show normal. They're elevated in the interstitial fluids. Why? Because the blood is pushing off all of its waste. It is getting from the food, the water, the air. It's all getting pushed out. And so the body pulls magnesium from the muscles, calcium from the bones. And we see all chronic patients in hyper 
calcemia in every case, in every case. And then when we go back to the blood, when it becomes so alarming that there's hydrostatic pressure that pushes some of this backwash back into the blood, then we see a deterioration of the red blood cells and a suppression of the white blood cells. And, and, and this is when other help is called up, like the exosomes, to trigger the clotting factors as they signal the endothelium to begin the clotting factors, which then will prevent internal bleeding, where you bleed out. So the exosomes are actually a, in a, are released in an alarming situation from the cell itself mm-hmm. to save life and to preserve the integrity of where true immunity is found, and that's in the body fluids. So when we look at what, if I can screen sh- uh, share some of this with you, uh, just briefly, um, if it's okay. Yeah, I think so. I think you're good to let's, go. Let's, let's see what happens. It says host disabled attendee screen sharing. So you have to activate that. Okay, let me see. Yeah, I mean, I've got. But, uh, you know, I, okay. I, I, I mean, I think we're, we're all on the same page pretty much. You know, we have uh, maybe a different way to explain the same things, but I think we're getting at the same point is, uh, is germs in of themselves do not cause disease. They contribute to a state of imbalance, period. So when you're asking the question, how do viruses play into that, whatever your definition, I would, I would refer to it as a nanoparticulate, okay, that is compromising the environment. That is only going to be activated if it increases, and it can increase by outside contamination or the fact that cells are breaking down. Let me see if I can do this again. Yeah, I think you're good. So Dr. Jane Hildreth proposed that the virus is fully an exosome in every sense of the word. Now, I'm not saying you agree with that or disagree. I'm just saying that, that a notable uh, researcher, doctor, suggested that. When I'm looking at this, this, this is a picture I took in 19... 19- 88, 89 of the Corona effect. You can actually see the deterioration and you can see the hairy leukemia and the destruction of the white blood cells here as they have taken up too much of the particulate. They're called endotoxins, which are particulates of cell, cell parts that are broken down. They're picking that up. Also, the cells go into pleomorphic activity which then gives birth to bacteria and extra yeast. They're literally trying to clean this environment up and they become part of the problem. It's not that they're being attacked, is that they're trying to clean up, no pun intended, the friggin' bloody mess. Mm-hmm. It's created by environmental stressors, both uh, external and internal, that are related to food, water, air, lifestyle, where we're living what we're thinking, what we're believing. When you look at the exosome and you see that in comparison to COVID-19, you know, what do they have in common? I mean, anatomically, they look identical. And we can see the exosomes being pushed out. And here we see, see some not, of this pleomorphic. Yeah, it's not coming up. It's not coming up? No, Let and I... Hold on just a minute. Let's see if I can do it again. Okay, here it is. 
Yeah, we're we're not seeing it for whatever reason. I have the screen you're gonna, sharing. You're going to see. You're oh, going to see. Here we go. Now. Yeah. Here we go. Great. Thanks. So when you see the corona effect, and we're talking about here the deterioration of the white cells, when even in leukemia, if you can change the environment, you can reverse leukemia by supporting the white blood cells in their effort to clean up the pollution that's been created through lifestyle. And we see the breakdown and we actually see the formation of these, these uh, appendages coming off as the cell ages and the creation of various types of bacteria and yeast. Here we see this hairy cell leukemia cell using dark film microscopy. It's a dying white blood cell. What is it dying from? It's dying from its efforts as a firefighter to try to clean up the mess to preserve the integrity of the environment and protect the cell. I, I mentioned here uh, uh, James Hildreth, who proposed the virus is fully an exosome in every, every sense of the word. Those are his words. I'm not su suggesting that. I'm just saying what he said. Uh, he's well respected. But when we see what normal looks like, when we look at the white, the red blood cells and we look at what abnormal looks like and we see the loss of hemoglobin in the red cells with these codocytes, which are targeted red blood cells, and the damage to the red blood cells and the creation of all this, this, this so-called transformation that's taking place at the cellular level, you know, then you kind of wonder, here's another one. Here are two white blood cells that are literally part of the problem now. So we have schistocytes and cell fragments, da damaged neutrophils by an increase, which is measurable, which we have measured, increased amounts of lactic and citric acid. And if you actually look at the crystals and what this looks like, I'm going to move up here and show you. You know, this is what it looks like, if I can find it here. So we go from normal to actually seeing what I call bloodstones of lactic and citric acid. These are also being measured, not only in the blood, but they're being measured and identified in the interstitium, interstitial fluids. Here's what's sulfuric acid. These are, these are no different in many ways than gallstones or kidney stones or brain stones or breast stones. They're throughout the whole blood system, mm -hmm. throughout the whole body system. And we say, well, this is what the body does. If there is a fluid chemical in the body, it's going to neutralize that if it can't get, get rid of it. So what does lactic acid look like when it's been crystallized as a defensive mechanism? And this is what's building up on the walls of the arteries is this increase of waste that has to be dealt with if it cannot be eliminated through the four channels of elimination. So this is what we end up with in a micrograph, uh, micrograph of targeted red blood cells with the corona effect. Cells are not being attacked, they're being poisoned. And if, it, and if there is any attack, it's not from the white blood cells, it turns on itself, which is, I, it, which is a, I believe, a false theory, that they're literally sacrificing their life to return back to normal the, the true essence of where vitality and thriving begins, and that is managing and maintaining the alkaline design of the body fluids. And see, these are, and then when, when uh, we talk about the mass, 
if we put the mask under face contrast or bright field, these are the holes in the mask. So there's no way that the mask is protecting you. I mean, if we're looking, these G, H, and I are surgical masks. These are opening within those fibers that you could drive a truck. Putting on a mask is like putting on a chain link fence, thinking that you're going to protect yourself from mosquitoes or flies or viruses. It's total insanity. I have no idea why more people haven't just picked up, not a gun, but a microscope, taken that cloth they're wearing, because under A, B, C, D, and E, and F are the cloth masks. Mm -hmm. They're all worthless. In fact, if you want to protect yourself, you're going to have to wear you know, a gas mask that will protect you because the pores on this, when we look at the size, when we look at the size of the particulates, here we've got bacteria at one micron, the red blood cell at seven microns. There's the so-called virus or exosome, whatever, whatever points you're coming from, which is 10 to 150 microns, okay? And then you get down to combustion. What does combustion look like in the cells when it's crystallized? This is what it looks like. So is the mask going to protect you from exhaust, from glyphosate? Is it going to protect you from, from titanium dioxide? Is it going to protect you from carbon monoxide? It's, it's impossible because the openings are too larger. Large. Right. If you look, I've got, a, I've got a, a measurement stick down here. But uh, these are measuring uh, anywhere from, you know, five, these smaller ones, maybe five to 10 microns up to 100 to 200 microns. Sure. The masks aren't designed to, to protect, you know, from that. So you have to, you have to look at this in a, in a way is when I'm looking at someone who's sick, I'm looking at the quality of the blood. I'm looking at, uh, at, at quantitative information, like, for example, the codicides here, where there's missing hemoglobin. What is the measurement on hemoglobin? And, and then when you see these types of, of uh, presentations, you know, this is common. This is common. This is not an unusual photograph of someone that's in an acute or chronic state. So I just think if people will see the pictures and realize anthropogenic uh, nanoparticulates will pass through an NP95. So you, and, and these are all the entry points, all the in, from in, inhalation to ingestion. The best way to get this stuff in is through injection. I mean, I can't think of any better way to poison the interstitial fluids and the blood other than injecting directly these poisons directly sure. into the vascular Well, I mean, I guess, you know, I even want to go a step further and have you all discuss um, how, like, if we even want to stop a virus from getting in. Why, you know, if from, from everything else that's been said, this whole notion of wearing a mask to keep viruses from coming in, if you're healthy, uh, you don't need to stop the virus from coming in. And maybe even 
you know, is this something that I could say is that a, a virus may help your body clean out some of these toxins? I certainly uh, as, think so. As yeah. long as it's in this controlled burn. Yeah, let's let's get Dr. Seneff's view on this, uh, because I think this is a fascinating take. And it starts to make sense to me. Like if a new toxin is 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 in the environment, let's say glyphosate, right? And bodies all over the, you know, trying to figure out how to deal with it. And somebody, you know, through through their immune system comes up with a, this thing that seems to be working. It 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 takes on this viral form, and then it spreads to other people to help them detoxify from this. Now, some people have much of the toxin or their bodies have other inflammatory responses going on and the wildfire starts and they and they pass away but you know is it possible that the virus is actually trying to help the body fight disease let's let's uh, hear what you have to say dr snuff I, I definitely think so. I have actually uh, felt this way about all viruses. And I've talked at Western Price Foundation about the flu virus in particular, because it's quite interesting. The flu virus goes in and steals uh, sulfated uh, glycosaminoglycans from the, from the cell that it infects. It, it, so the flu, vaccine, the flu virus tells, programs the cell to make an extracellular matrix around the flu virus, and then it lets it loose into the, into the blood. And the macrophages are, are then take up the flu virus and receive that very, very valuable stuff that's being delivered to them from the uh, muscle cell. So basically, the flu virus is redistributing um, these extracellular matrix uh, heparin sulfate, these sulfated sugar chains that are so important to the macrophage in order to be able to fight disease. So the flu virus is actually um, stealing from the muscle cells in order to boost the immune system's ability to fight disease. And I think this is probably true of viruses in general. And as I said, this uh, coronavirus, I think that it's exquisitely designed to re uh, reboot the mitochondria and supply them with deuterium depleted water, which a necessary step is to shut them down. And that's why it causes sort of physical exhaustion and and loss of oxygen, the whole signaling process that takes place is an elegant aspect of, of biological organisms that they know how to respond in this appropriate way to take advantage of this virus that's delivering all of this in, uh, useful stuff, mm -hmm. delivering it to the immune cells so that they can become strengthened. So that if you survive a viral infection, you have a stronger immune system than you had before it happened. And, and, and you also have better mitochondria. Your mitochondria are working better. So it's helping to repair um, all the disruptions that have been caused by the toxic chemicals that you've been exposed to throughout your lifespan. So to the extent that you've got more glyphosate exposure, you've got a much uh, greater chance of the virus taking hold and multiplying and spreading so that in the whole population is exposed to glyphosate, the virus spreads like wildfire. Whereas if the population is healthy, the virus doesn't spread because it goes into the body and the, and the immune cells clear it and nothing happens. Right. So it's really a question of how many people in the population have been poisoned by, by glyphosate. And of course, there's all kinds of other chemicals out there as well, uh, is a reflection of how quickly the population uh, acquires a disease. And I want to single out Nigeria because Nigeria is a very interesting country with respect to COVID-19. I've been looking at Africa in general compared to the rest of the world. Africa has incredibly low death rates from COVID-19 throughout the, the continent, with the exception of South Africa. South Africa is by far the greatest user of glyphosate in Africa. So it makes sense to me that it would be the country that would be most affected by COVID-19. Mm -hmm. The rest of the, of the continent has very, very low death rates. Nigeria in particular is extremely interesting because we know that, for example, blacks are twice as susceptible as whites in the United States. 
air pollution has been shown in multiple papers published both in America and in Europe. Air pollution is correlated with uh, higher death rates. Uh, cities that have, or counties in the United States that have higher nanoparticles in the air have higher death rates from COVID-19, statistically significant correlations. And Nigeria, and then of course, crowding in the city, poverty, all of these things are risk factors for, for bad outcomes. Nigeria has has all of it. It has really bad pollution. The worst polluted city in the world is in Nigeria. I have written down Onitsha. Onitsha, Nigeria, the highest pollution of any city in the world. 94% of the population in Nigeria has is exposed to air that is um, more polluted than what WHO considers safe. And Nigeria has a very dense population, very much crowding in the cities, high poverty, all these things, high black, uh, you know, practically all black. So they have all these risk factors for COVID-19. They should have astronomical death rates from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Their death rate is one one hundredth of the death rate of the United States, one one hundredth. And even if you're correct for the fact that they have fewer elderly, and that's true, and I looked up the information over 65, if you think all of the deaths are due to people over 65, Nigeria has relatively to the population one-fifth as many old people. So this gets you still a factor of one in 20. You could account for one-fifth, one in five through elderly, just not having so many elderly people because they're especially sensitive. But even with that, you still have a one in 20. Uh, ratio between the death rate in Nigeria and the death rate in the United States. Hmm. And I think the explanation is that Nigeria uses very little glyphosate. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, Dr. Mikevitz, what do you think about this idea that maybe viruses actually contain information that are designed to to help the immune system fight off infections, and then only when this controlled burn turns into a wildfire do they become a problem? Yeah, we, we know that you know, as, as much as eight to twelve percent of our genome is a virome that is um, through right. the evolutionary er, evolutionary period has been um, you know suppressed and and is actually regulatory in function. Uh, I you know without a retroviruses and again it's plants it's all animals without retroviruses regu- um, in humans. Um, uh, there's one called syncytin, which is a vestigial retrovirus, and, and this is why we evolved to have placenta. So they're very valuable huh. in regulating gene expression at, at the cellular and molecular level. But when that gets disrupted, as we've discussed in the past couple of hours, um, by other toxins and that expression and regulation is lost, um, that's when we experience the loss of the delicate balance homeostasis. Um, and and I, we call it the disease engine and accelerated aging. So we've sped up the aging because the, the firemen can't put out the fire. So we're, right. we, we've lost the regulation. So yeah, it's, it's not the presence of the virus. It's the expression and the dysregulation of these viruses that is driving the disease. Yeah. I mean, the question shouldn't even be about wearing a mask, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's not a problem to, to ingest these viruses if you have a, if you have a, a healthy immune system that incorporates the new information in fact it's going to be beneficial it's something that you know we shouldn't be afraid of i mean it's just amazing to me how scared everybody is when science is starting to look at this and go wait a minute you know maybe these viruses are actually encoding genetic information that's really useful (laughs) yeah something that we need 
as Stephanie just said, when we're exposed to a natural root, an infection by a natural root, um, you actually, it's almost like an immune booster. And we saw this, you know, we see this with the failure of chickenpox vaccines and, and really of measles vaccines because you don't present when you inject a virus or the blueprint of a virus into the blood, that's not the natural route of exposure. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't develop the, the, the appropriate immune response. So we see now children in, in, in getting shingles and, and the elderly getting advanced rates of shingles because the chickenpox um, vaccine doesn't present to the immune system and doesn't give you lifelong immunity. So you don't get a natural booster by a grandparent holding a grandchild or babysitting while the parents go to work. We've just we've destroyed our immune system by the right. infection by injection. And it doesn't it clearly doesn't develop immunity as we, we now know a natural measles infection. You see far lower rates of breast cancer and ovarian cancers in, in, in women. And this goes directly to what Robert was saying in the very beginning as far as um, the fat and, and then, then along with glyphosate and all um, and the signaling in the deuterium. So deuterium is a growth factor for viruses, expressly as my friend uh, Dr. Laszlo Boro said, and we wrote in some of the last chapters of Plague of Corruption, how to restore the regulation and the balance is critically important. Yeah, this is fascinating. And then there's another level of this, and maybe I'll just bring bring this up with you all and, and see what you think, because when you're looking at human evolution with this concept of epigenetics in mind, then viruses, mm -hmm. is it is this possible that viruses are actually a, a way to uh, influence uh, the evolution of the species over time? Because we're passing, it's another way, it's not just sexual reproduction, which I think most scientists these days agree there's no way that that sexual reproduction, Darwinian style, uh, is enough to drive the kind of evolution that we've seen over the last hundred thousand years in terms of the, the rate of change of a species evolved. And so, it, is virus transmission potentially uh, a way to influence ourselves on this epigenetic or genetic level, where we're transmitting between each other a different information? Um, that then can get incorporated into our genome and and then is participating on this evolutionary level is that is that something that may be going on <laughs> yeah, i mean i think judy would agree with me i've i've come to believe that the viruses are actually the primary source of genetic uh, change wow they are and they doug, you know doug you might find this interesting and maybe uh -huh. these intelligent beautiful women will also uh uh I don't know if you realize this, but in the in the late 90s, I, I published a paper called Second Thoughts About Viruses, Vaccines, and the HIV-AIDS Hypothesis. It uh -huh. was later published by the International Journal of Vaccines and Vaccinations uh, as an open, as an open uh, 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 journal. Uh, but you may want to take a look at that. But in there, okay. I actually proposed the question. Uh, about viruses and, and what they are and suggest that viruses are repair proteins uh, in in the 90s where I suggested that they're in response to an over acidic, acidic condition of the internal environment and a response to that acidic uh, environment. So when, when we're looking at some of these actions that are taking place by the cells to try to maintain the integrity of that internal environment, there's one system which uh, you may or may not be familiar with. 
uh, I've had to, to, to identify it as the alkaline buffering system. And the major organ that provides the number one, I mean, their, 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 their first react, it's the first reacting organ. Uh, besides, besides the astrocytes in the dorsal brainstem uh, triggering this, activating the stomach and the cells within the stomach, uh, they're called cover cells, to begin the production of sodium bicarbonate. Sodium bicarbonate is the number one response to an acidic condition, whether it's a chemical or a biological. They're going to, if it's, if it's compromising the blood or the interstitial fluids, it's going to react. So immediately the stomach and the stomach lining starts producing sodium bicarbonate to release in the blood, which then pushes that out into the interstitial fluids. This is first line defense. First thing that happens. And this is why a lot of people, when they're sick, they throw up. It's when, because what's happening is as the body is producing a molecule of sodium bicarbonate, an equal amount of hydrochloric acid is being produced. And that's what causes them to throw up. Mm -hmm. This happens in morning sickness. It happens in pretty much all cancer conditions. The body's trying to save itself by producing an alkaline compound to restore the alkaline design, which is where true immunity rests. And the alkaline buffering system begins with the stomach, and it supplies the pancreas, it it, uh, supplies the salivary glands. When you eat a food or drink a drink, as soon as you think about that food or drink that food, immediately the stomach begins the production of sodium bicarbonate to literally put out the fire that's coming from that food or that, that chemical, that poison. And so when you eat a food that's, that, that is laced with glyphosate, the stomach is going to be the, the first line on defense to produce a compound, which is be, being produced every second, every minute, every hour, every, every day of your life mm-hmm. until it can't produce anymore or becomes suppressed itself. This is why... We have headaches. This is why the number number one and number two condition around the world are antacids. The reason people are taking antacids is because the stomach is responsible for maintaining the delicate pH balance at, at, the, at the charge of the astrocytes to produce this bicarbonate to maintain the alkaline design of the body fluids. So disease does not begin in the cell. That's, that's an effect. So viruses or breakdown products are effect of the underlying contributing factor. The cause begins with a compromise in the delicate pH balance of the interstitial fluids. This mm-hmm. is where it all begins. This is why the research is turning now to epigenetics and away from genetics. Because when we're talking about epigenetics, we're talking about the environment. Right. And the environment's effect on how the genes express themselves. It's like an on and off switch. If you're drinking alcohol, you know, if you're drink, if you're uh, eating acidic foods, if you're drinking toxic water, the body has to respond to that because it has to maintain its integrity. And that's controlled by the most important organ. I know this sounds maybe strange to you, but the most important organ of the human body, which has nothing to do with digestion, it has everything to do with protecting the alkaline design of the body, the stomach is a major and is the major contributor to managing the biochemistry of the body fluids. 
And we have proved this out over and over again. So when we're dealing with viruses, we have to define, are we talking about a biological or are we talking about a chemical? Because I would say the virus, from what Stephanie has said, is the virus is the glyphosate. That's the virus. Because, because what happens when that gets in is, is an effect which gives birth to exosomes. Exosomes are not going to be released until there's an alarming situation. we got to peel this back. What are the alarming situations? Mm -hmm. And then we've got to say, oh, it's air pollution, it's water pollution, it's, and, and we've got to identify those. And that's what I did in several of the studies. But when I was talking about viruses, I had to re redefine the virus. Sure. And vaccines, then, vaccines don't make any sense whatsoever because all you prove <laughs> is that you can poison the interstitial fluids with very toxic biologicals or, and actually create the very symptoms you're trying to protect against. And this is not, this is not immunity. This is insanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you want to protect the body, then you need to empower yourself with, with the knowledge to protect the most important organ of the body. And the most important organ of the body is the interstitium. And, and, and the thing that controls the interstitium is the nucleus of the, the tractus solar, solaris uh, ascites, that bundle of gilial cells that's giving directions to try to maintain homeostasis. Mm -hmm. Homeostasis is the word of the day. It's not trying to kill off bacteria. It's trying to pick it up and get rid of it. It's not trying to kill the virus. It's trying to, get, it's trying to neutralize it. Because in my world, viruses are chemicals or their radiation. It's coming different poisonings. They're coming sure. from chemical or biological. These are contributing factors, but not causative. And the, the stomach is at the head of that. Now, what's backed up to that? The backup to the stomach, when it starts losing the battle, this is when the red blood cells get involved. And this is why you're seeing a deficiency in hemoglobin in cancer patients when they're taking chemotherapy or when, you're, when they're receiving any type of drug, you'll see a decrease in hemoglobin. That means the alkaline buffering system is infective. The stomach's not producing sodium bicarbonate. You're now using your blood specifically. The hemoglobin is now being used to buffer at a metabolic and dietary, environmental, and, and respiratory waste. And this is why we then see the corona effect. And as this builds up, That'll, that'll activate the clotting factors, which will lead to disseminated intravascular coagulation, which will, into, will lead to hypoxia, which will lead, uh, lead to the fact that the, the blood cannot release its, oxygen, uh, release its carbon dioxide and pick up uh, oxygen, which creates the SARS symptoms, which, which stands for uh, severe acute respiratory uh, uh, disorder, actually uh, SARS's syndrome, which means I don't understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Anytime you attack <laughs> the word, is we don't really know the pathology on this. But SARS is a condition of the interstitial fluids. If you want to know the answer about those who are suffering from respiratory disorders, check the biochemistry of the interstitial fluids of the lung. It's simple. Mm -hmm. You'll have your answer. And then if you want to see if your treatments are working, then take the treatment and see if it normalizes that. Voila, you just found the cure for SARS. It's very simple. So you don't have to take anybody's word. You don't have to take my word. All you have to do is test. Test yeah. the interstitial fluids of the lung.
you'll find the patients in decompensated acidosis. If you want to measure the particulates in those fluids, I dare you to do that. Anybody out there that's listening to this, any scientist that is here again, wanting to understand the pathology this, you cannot ignore the interstitium and you mm -hmm. cannot ignore the interstitial fluids. You cannot ignore the, the stomach and what it's contributing. You cannot, you've got to measure sodium bicarbonate levels in the blood. You've got to measure lactic acid, citric acid, and other acids in the blood and the interstitium. You've got to measure that. You've got to know it. And then as you're doing the treatments, what you'll find as you neutralize these poisons and get them out of your system by what? Simply opening up the channels of elimination. Many years ago, hospitals used to do colonics, you know, rather than take laxatives, you know. But the reason for, for infusing things intravenously, which is better if you do a suppository or through the hemorrhoidal vein, is to get this stuff in the blood immediately into the interstitial by, by hyperalkalizing the body. When you do that, guess what? The symptoms disappear. Millions of lives would be saved. I mean, we're concerned, yes, rightfully so, about any life that's lost. And we're attributing 200,000 lives here in the United States that were lost. What about the 5.5 million people that died of cancer in the same period of time? Why isn't anybody talking about that? And, yeah, and, and why do major universities, and I can name that by name, know the cure for cancer, but they're not going to be the university to release it because they, they don't want the pushback from it. Right. I mean, Judy knows what I'm talking about. I know personally what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. But, but there are no cures until the politics change. Right. Once For the sure. politics change, then scientists can be free, as we are talking here freely and supporting each other and are grateful for the conversation, uh, for what each one has experienced and what they can contribute as a piece of the whole puzzle. But I, I think you have to look at the, uh, the alkaline buffering system and sodium bicarbonate and potassium bicarbonate levels, and not just in the blood, you have to look at the interstitial because that's where they're low. And what's high are these acidic waste products. And you can measure glyphosate in the interstitial fluids. It may not show up in the blood because the blood's gonna purify itself, it's gonna show up in the interstitial fluid. And that's what's causing the breakdown of, the, of cell membranes. Right. That's what's causing the corona effect. That's what's causing the release of exosomes. That's what's causing the cascade of clotting factors. That's what's then, as we're talking here, we can blame this on a virus, or we just understand that the body is trying to save us from our ignorance. Right. Our lack <laughs> from our own folly. <laughs> well, I mean, this is. And this is the fascinating thing about what we're getting at. Now Now I've got two points, maybe 10 minutes left here before we wrap it up. So, um, But the one thing that I was kind of touching on is that if viruses have a positive function in terms of transmitting um, genetic material, e even an evolutionary function, then people don't need to be afraid of them right. the way that they are. And, this, and the fear is, is creating stress. And as we've all discussed, the stress just makes your immune system function even worse, and, and it's, it's going to make contagious. any kind of disease worse. Fear so. is contagious, and, and right. uh, so that's, that's why I've associated the virus with the media. You know, the sure. media, the media <laughs> is the virus. Uh, the disease is loss of uh, common sense, 
And the treatment is education, not medication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's well, education, not vaccination. And you, you need to empower people with, because most people don't even know where their liver is. Whereas I just asked a simple question. What side of your body is your liver? Uh, ask sure. other people. Right. You know, you'll find out, wow. You know, they don't even know what side their liver is. How many kidneys do you have? They don't know that they don't know the anatomy, the physiology and functionality. Okay. I get that. You know, but the bottom line is they need to know some basics and, and they need to know how important it is to manage and maintain the alkaline design of the internal fluids, of the body mm-hmm. as the main forefront of protection. So if there is no cure for disease, I would suggest there is a prevention for all disease. And the, and, and the prevention would be by managing what you eat, what you drink. And stop buying just foods at the grocery store. You're going to have to either grow them and, and know the seeds, seed, uh, source of your seeds, or you're going to have to trust the farmer, or you're going to have to go organic as much as possible to prevent glyphosate poisoning, which right. is real. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is friggin' real. And if you don't want to accept it, then, you know, then I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Because you've got, you've got three scientists uh, that are saying the same thing. And the reason they're saying the same thing is not for monetary reasons. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, to, not to protect us ourselves from, from bad actors. We're saying it because each one of these people here actually care not only about themselves, but they care about their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. They yeah. care about the future. They care about this country. They love this country. They want only good. There is no monetary connection at all. And I believe this. And I, uh, yes, you know, we have, to, uh, we have to have substance to live. But here again, we have enough. We have enough, and, and education is what this world needs, not more medication. Right. We don't need a new vaccine. We don't need a new therapeutic. What we need is to empower people with the knowledge of how to protect themselves and prevent the very symptomologies that are naturally occurring when we're exposed to food pollution, water pollution, air pollution, thought pollution, fear being one of the major contributing factors to acidity. Because when you're in fear, you're suppressing. The nucleus of these atrocytes suppress with fear, mm-hmm. and they can't signal out to say, "Hey, the body is under is on fire." They it doesn't fact function. So this solitaris, you know, uh, a site the, these astrocytes become toxic and suppressive, and things just stop working. And, and you've got to open that up. You've got to provide an environment that's conducive for health, vitality, and energy to thrive. Yeah. So, you, so you not just survive, but thrive. Well, and this is kind of the second part. I mean, one, we really don't need to be afraid of the virus because we know that if our immune systems are healthy, then viruses actually have a positive impact on our on our physical systems and even our, our you know genetic evolution. And then secondly, what we've been discussing here today, if people were educated about what we're talking about, this is a, this is a healthcare revolution that eliminates the 20% of everybody's income that they're putting into healthcare right now mm-hmm. and makes everyone 
a healthy person as long as they make good lifestyle decisions about themselves, as long as they're educated and they make good choices, you know, which they will if they're happy and they're healthy to begin with. So um, with just a couple of minutes left, let, let's let the ladies uh, um, put their input into, into what we've been discussing here. Dr. Mikovits, do you uh, have some concluding remarks or something to say about w- what we're talking about here? Oh, just essentially everything we're saying. It's a, the education is all we're about. Yeah. That's why we've written these books. Um, the one, the case against the mask, um, it just shows the damage of hypoxia. That you're literally the concentration and 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 of other microbes and the suppression of the the CD4 T cells and everything else. The um, further depletion of glyphosate, as we're saying. Um, so you know the the masks are driving the disease. Um, and we're being mandated, so we're struggling to educate everybody, um, um, you know, to take them off. And I can't think of a worse um, place to wear a mask than an airplane. And yet, because um, and, and, you're already above the ozone layer, so oxidative stress. Here you've got uh, 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 all kinds of uranium, plutonium um, in satellites in the oxygen, um, causing the toxic. Um, and the jet fuel, the breathing in the PFOEs, the acidic <laughs> by just as we say, and then you've got that Teflon sprayed mask. And and oh, I was I was I I I'm banned now from the airlines because right. um, I you know I was eating and drinking my glutathione something <laughs> the entire time, and I had a I had a silver lined. Um, I had this mask on um, <laughs> at this level, so and I had totally with colloidal silver line mesh on the outside. And the stewardess said, "No, that's not good enough. Uh. You wear our little blue one, and you put it over your nose." So I, I of course, refused. And um, um, and ki- nicely, I was I. I quickly turned to the book on my Kindle called Thriving in Babylon um, so that I could learn not to tell her what she could do to herself. I just just said, no, thank you for once. And, um, but again, um, you know, um, the, 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 the pilot comes on and said, obviously one person on this plane is putting everybody at risk by the refusal. And, and, it just, and, and we're going to detain her at the airport, which they attempted to do. But I, um, and, and again, this is, this is Nazi. This is, this is insanity. And I was probably the only one that was preventing disease of any kind with it, with what I was doing in, in flying group in the, in, in this plane, because of course, you know, I, I'm one of the lab workers who was injured, um, uh, first responders throughout my interaction with all of these compounds over the past 40 years and all the all the, the plague of the corruption made the nosocomial spread the lab workers first responders doctors and nurses the, right. the sickest so my lungs um, I, I have pleurisy which is cr- um, chronic hypercapnia and fluid in my lungs all the time hmm. the last thing you want to do is 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 uh, put me in a hypoxic situation because I'll just cough all over you and drive the lung cancer or drive the XMRVs and neuroimmune diseases and the dysregulation of the immune system. So um, i got a fight going on legally to stop this because I think we're going to kill a lot of people um, um, with the damage done on these airlines, trains, planes, buses, which are sure. all these toxins. Do you want to give people, just to wrap it up, uh, where can they find out more about your work? 
uh, well, we're essentially everywhere. PlagueTheBook.com, mm-hmm. our three books, Plague, Plague of Corruption, uh, The Case Against the Mask, and uh, we're writing right now, Ending Plague. And it's really what you've been doing here. The, net, the last book is Ending Plague, A Scholar's Obligation in an Age of Corruption. Well, how, oh, great. Do we, how do we educate? Excellent. Excellent. So a, a, a third book is on the way. Good news. Yeah, exactly. And uh, then, Dr. Seneff, do you want to to finish things off? I know we, you were talking a little bit about the, the epigenetic possibilities of the virus. Maybe you could finish what you were going to say about that and, and then let people know where to find out more. Well, I'd like to actually just talk about how to stay safe against COVID because I think the government sure. is not telling us how to stay safe. And, mm-hmm. and as we know, eating certified organic food, eating whole food rather than processed foods, staying away from cities where there's a lot of air pollution, getting outside in the sunlight, very, very important without sunscreen, without sunglasses. I really believe that's going to very much help to strengthen your immune system. So all of those things, they should be telling everybody to do those things. And they're not, they're not talking about any of them. And that really aggravates me because our country could be a lot better off if we would just follow those basic principles. Sure. Um, I, uh, I have a brand new website, stephaniesenef.net, um, just Great. released. Um, and I have my MIT website, which is a much more, complicated thing to say but it, there's links to it on stephaniesenef.net my MIT website has all kinds of stuff with uh, papers and slides and whatnot and then um, I have a, a blog post a, a blog on my MIT on my stephaniesenef.net where I'm hoping to be able to write uh, some blog posts periodically so I have a book coming out um, I, I hope uh, very soon like cool. early next year uh, I've submitted it to the, the revised version to the publisher, and it's under review with the publisher right now. So a book on glyphosate. And I'm working on a second book on glyphosate. So I'm sort of pl- following Judy's lead <laughs> to start writing books. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, it's great to get the information out there. Like uh, like we're talking about, education is the key. So uh, definitely appreciate that. And we'll start be able to start sending people to your new website. It's much easier to say than, than the MIT right. website. So thanks for putting that yeah. together. And, uh, and then, Dr. Young, where can people find out more about your work? Well, first off, Doug, I'd like to thank you for allowing us to be together, together today and to speak about these things. Mm-hmm. And it's always good to, to meet a, a, another doctor uh, like Stephanie, who's uh, helping other souls and, and for the right reasons. You know, I, I, her sincerity and her integrity and her intelligence shines right through. So I, I appreciate knowing that you're on the planet. Uh, for Judy, well, what can you say? She's an American hero, you know, and, and she's yeah. a brave soul that has stood up at, at, against all odds and, and spoken the truth. And it takes a lot to stand up for the truth. But in a, in a world right good is bad and bad is good and evil is, is and right is wrong and wrong is right, uh, uh, it's, it's refreshing to see uh, good souls that are that are expressing the truth based on based on science, you know, not just their personal beliefs, but they're backing that up with uh, scientific research. So, um, you know, you can learn more about my work at uh, drrobertyoung.com. That's D-R-R-O-B-E-R-T-Y-O-U-N-G.com. Uh, I do have a scientific blog there. I do, uh, if you're interested in, in the uh, second thought about viruses, vaccines, and the HIV AIDS hypothesis, you can find that online. Just uh, just Google MedCrave.com and put my name in there, and you'll you'll find some of the papers uh, on viruses and vaccines. 
I do have to, to say that I, I really, really appreciate Judy mentioning glutathione and, and her experience with glutathione. I mean, she speaks the truth about that. It's uh, definitely the major defense that the, that the cell membrane has to defend itself against any chemical or biological uh, poisoning, radiation poisoning. Uh, it, it's essential, you know, uh, find a good source, make sure it doesn't contain alcohol or glycerin, uh, if at all possible. <laughs> Right. But it's generally <laughs> stabilized in, in double distilled uh, ionized water. But uh, glut reduced reduced glutathione is 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 very very critical in the overall prevention uh, scenario. So uh, I'm glad I'm glad she mentioned that as 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 a, as a very important thing to prevent uh, uh, a variety of sicknesses and diseases. Uh, so anyway, uh, thank you uh, for this opportunity and. Uh, I hope uh, we can talk offline too, you know, yeah. and, and share back and forth our, our, our emails and phone numbers because uh, I'd love to learn more from each of you. Uh, you have so much to offer. And, and congratulations on your books. Congratulations. I do have a book that's it's going to be on interstitium, interstitial fluids, and uh, we're trying to size it down. It's 1,200 pages right now. So we're trying, <laughs> that's we're trying how we shrink. write three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to shrink it down. There's so much. People won't so much read to, it if to, it's that thick. Right. That's the same that's problem I, I had. <laughs> that's what I told Duisberg when he, when he wrote the book, Inventing the AIDS Virus. I said, you know, who's going to read this? It's 1,000 pages, <laughs> you know? And I said, I'm going to read it, you know, so that's good. But, yeah, if you if you want to learn uh, from Dr. Duisberg and some of his work, he's he's a scientist at California, Berkeley, did a lot of research uh, there on uh, chemical poisoning associated with immune deficiencies and that HIV is a phantom virus that doesn't exist. So uh, I would suggest that, uh, it, that we're, de we're dealing with uh, what we're calling things and then associating uh, uh, various uh, symptomologies with them as, as causative factors. Uh, but uh, good. I hope this goes viral. I hope more people will watch it. Yeah. And thanks again for making it possible, Doug. For sure. Yes, thank this. you for doing this. Uh, I'll thank just take a moment to say that uh, I've been your host. My name is Doug McKinty. This uh, is produced. These are the roundtable, uh, uh, excuse me, these are the roundtable discussions. Uh, this is the 18th one, and you can check us out at uh, transparentmediatruth.com or at transparentmediatruth on uh, YouTube. And uh, I am your host. My name is Doug McKenty, and you can check out all my stuff at www.theshiftnow.com. I also have all the roundtable discussions up at the website, and you can check out all of my uh, shift interviews that are posted up there as well, also at The Shift with Doug McKenty on YouTube. So thanks, everybody, for watching, and thanks to the three of you for having this conversation. There is definitely... Uh, a scientific revolution, I feel like, that's happening, represented by the three of you and your points of view. And we can only hope that uh, some of this knowledge can can break through the wall that is the pharmaceutical industry and the, and the government corporate complex that doesn't want people to know uh, actually how to live healthy lives because that would be bad for their business model. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for all your well work. Said. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Thank okay. you. Thank Bye you so much. You guys. Mm -hmm. Well, all right, everybody, and thanks for watching that 18th roundtable discussion between myself, uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, and Dr. Robert Young. Um, what an outrageous conversation that uh, growing out of this whole COVID pandemic 
has actually caused people to start doubting the germ theory at its foundations. And we're here we have these three really intelligent people getting together uh, and bouncing around ideas uh, that are radically different from the typical germ theory that we've all been raised with uh, and actually discussing um, a lot of different ideas about uh, where these diseases come from and how they spread. Um, I just saw an interview with Dr. Cowan, who is another terrain theorist. Uh, hopefully I'll be speaking with him soon. Um, but he was describing the fact that no other culture in the world has this theory of contagion, uh, that disease spreads from one person to another, and that the issue is not uh, terrain. So interesting that throughout the uh, entirety of, of human evolution, nobody else thought that uh, diseases spread from person to person like this. Um, and really interesting to see a lot of these really intelligent people kind of coming around again now, uh, even using Western science and saying, wait a minute, have we really proven that viruses uh, spread, viruses cause disease? Um, and so we heard those arguments today. I was actually really surprised to hear Dr. Judy Mikovits come out so strongly in support of the terrain theory. Uh, I assumed with uh, her background in immunology and virology that uh, she would at least... Um, acknowledge the germ theory uh, to some extent, I, I mean, you know, potentially acknowledging the terrain theory a bit, but, you know, maybe kind of going back and forth or being somewhere in, in the middle. But she came out pretty strongly and said uh, she's an advocate of the terrain theory and it makes a lot of sense to her. Um, and then towards the end of the discussion, this concept that Dr. Seneff and Dr. Mikovits have been working on where viruses are actually little bits of genome that, that like a software update get uh, moved from person to person, get, it gets placed into your body from outside, and it helps you uh, install the information into your own genome uh, about how to detoxify certain uh, issues, environmental issues that have been going on. Uh, like I know Dr. Seneff talks a lot about the glyphosate in the environment. So is it that uh, viruses maybe are actually participating in this whole idea of human evolution that we're actually teaching each other using viruses how to detox our bodies from a variety of different toxins that are in the environment and then you know, a lot of times we'll just remain asymptomatic and start and flush out the flux, flush out the toxin, uh, and sometimes that controlled burn that's burning out some of these toxins from your system. Sometimes, if you have other issues, if your immune system's not strong enough to deal with it, the controlled burn becomes a wildfire, and then you have symptoms that may even lead uh, to death. So, just a fascinating, different way to think about um, the virome. Um, and what I really like about it is that it starts to minimize the amount of fear that people are, are feeling. And uh, the fear itself, uh, according to Dr. Uh, Young, uh, just feeling fear and being that stressed out um, reduces the efficacy of your immune system and can help aid in your then having symptoms if you do uh, get the virus and the virus is cleaning out these toxins. So, um, you know, and people just are so afraid, they think they're living in when they believe that they're living in a world where the germ theory uh, it, it posits that this invisible enemy can invade from anywhere and make you sick, uh, especially when they're saying this novel coronavirus is brand new, your immune system doesn't know how to handle it. Um, but in fact, uh, if we think about it differently, if these theories that these doctors today are talking about, then um, viruses become this positive force that are helping our bodies learn 
and are a part of our collective evolution in terms of dealing with different toxins that appear in the environment. So, um, you know, and the solution to make sure that the, the controlled burn doesn't become a wildfire is just to make sure that you strengthen your immune system, that you're eating right, you're exercising, and that you're healthy. Um, what a radically different way of thinking. And so I appreciate that the three doctors showed up today to help flush all of this out. Uh, again, a fascinating conversation. I am going to let you know where you can find out more. Uh, find out more about Dr. Seneff at uh, stephanieseneff.net. Um, then you can also find more about Dr. Judy Mikovits, of course, her two books, uh, Plague and Plague of Corruption. And there's um, another one that she just came out with, uh, The Case Against Masks. So if you're interested in seeing a good argument about mask wearing, uh, you can catch that and all of the rest of her information at plaguethebook.com. Uh, Dr. Robert Young is at drrobertyoung.com. Of course, he wrote The pH Miracle, and you can find out about how to boost your immune system with an alkalizing-based uh, diet um, and what you can do to make sure that when the viruses do enter your body, they don't the controlled burn doesn't become a wildfire. So lots of good information there. Um, I've been your host. My name is Doug McKinty. Find my stuff on Facebook and YouTube at The Shift with Doug McKenty. I'm on Twitter at D McKenty. And really the place to go is the website where I've got uh, all the roundtable discussions and my Shift episodes up at www.theshiftnow.com. As always, love to thank Rob Rubin. Thanks, Rob, for putting this one together. Uh, he's our lead producer at Transparent Media Truth. You can find more information uh, on uh, Twitter at transparent med1 uh, and we're also on youtube at transparent media truth or on the web at www.transparentmediatruth.com so uh, check out all that for um, the rest of our roundtable discussions and more and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week thanks a lot for listening and you guys have a great day take care The opinions and ideas expressed in this roundtable discussion do not necessarily reflect the views of Transparent Media Truth, but only those of the speakers participating in the discussion. Under the Copyright Disclaimer within Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, allowances are made for fair use of public content for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. Nonprofit, educational, or personal use tips the balance in favor of fair use.